From the pages of the Salt Lake Tribune, straight to your earphones, this is Tribune Sports Radio. Imagine, you know, as a sports reporter, that your best work you ever did was your junior year in high school covering some story that won you a Pulitzer, won you, uh, uh, what other accolades can you get out there? Mm. You, know? well, t- you want to talk about Harper Lee for a second? <laughs> uh, Harper Lee, the uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah. Yeah, where she wrote one book and then she waited 45 years before a second book was published. Well, you've heard why that second book is being published, right? Uh, I don't. It's, it feels like a cash grab. It's somebody, so, like her sister or someone died, and her sister was basically in charge of her affairs uh-huh. as she was getting senile. And now she's senile, and people are in charge of her affairs that probably aren't looking out for her. Best so case. I wasn't wrong on the cash grab? No. You know. Probably not. I was looking at my Audible account, uh, picking up my new selection for this month, and then they, it was amazing that uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was number two on the Audible downloads. And, you know, hey, don't get me wrong, To Kill a Mockingbird, probably a top 10 book of all time I've read. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, the whole idea with Boo Riley and just uh, uh, Atticus Finch and that whole defense. I mean, it was kind of a, I bet you, I, how many law careers do you think started from reading that book? You know, like they wanted to follow the steps of the country lawyer, and, you know, and do a big civil rights defense thing and stuff like that. So uh, I'm not surprised with uh, the, you know, a, a second manuscript by her because I didn't that come out like 47 years ago, like 1963-ish, like that, yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. But anyway, that book comes out. So, I mean, but back to you. So you, you're talking about Harper Lee. Like, let's say the best thing you ever did as a reporter happened when you were 17 years old. And then where do you go from there? I mean, all I, I, jokes aside, so you look at, uh, you know, like these gymnasts, man, like they're kind of screwed at 22. Yeah. You know, I mean, hopefully they go on and get a medical degree and become neurosurgeons <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. I don't know. You know, they have the physique to be astronauts. Something. Well, you know, uh, I forget that, that one woman's name, but one of the Utah alums um, from the gymnastics program is now like a stunt woman and does have you ever seen those commercials for i want to say it's like it's not state farm it's one of the insurance companies uh-huh. where this woman comes in and she's like a cat burglar yeah yeah yeah, 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 like yeah yeah making all the stuff that yeah so i, I swipe a computer nice. and then she gingerly puts a uh, brand new computer on the countertop right yeah, yeah that's a former utah gymnast apparently go utes Go Utes! <laughs> That's awesome. Where's Kevin? I don't know. He should be here in a bit. Would, uh, how much did they have to back up a Brinks truck to John Stockton's house for him to start doing those all all state commercials? Yes. I how much know. money? And I always thought Stockton had his affairs in order. <laughs> I never thought that would he need a cash grab to go in that. And uh, it's still. I, I, how long did it take you to understand that there's there wasn't two Chris Pauls? Um, how long did it take me to understand? Did you know there was not a Cliff Paul? Yes, I, yes, come on. Was that an issue for you? For me, it was for the, about the first six months of it. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just figured it's like Chris Paul's throwing a bone to his twin brother, you know? Not that his twin brother really worked, sold insurance. Like, I always figured his twin brother worked at, you know, a car detailing company, you know? And they were trying to, he was just trying to hook him up with a gig, you know? And then it turns out, oh, wait, it's, uh, it's the same guy, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's one of those famous dual acting roles, like, uh, I don't know, Eddie Murphy in the, in, in the Honey Professor series. <laughs> embarrassing is what That's it is. And it, it, it really came with a focus when Steph Curry, it was like, okay, there's no way there's two... I would know if Curry had a twin brother, and obviously John Stockton. You know, he apparently he he's building a swimming pool and a pool house, and wants to buy a boat, mm. and purchase more of uh, Spokane, Washington. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. That's funny. I could, if the best thing you did at seventeen, you know, and who are we talking about again? What was her name again? Shawnee Davis. Not Shiny Davis is a speed skater. Shiny Davis, yeah, was a speed skater. Um, 
No, Sean Johnson. Sean Johnson. Because I can't remember the other girl who won gold. I forget her name. But, but let's pretend you're Sean Johnson, you know, which is a dream of both of us to pretend that we're under 21 and uh, gymnast women in black. But uh, it's... I just I think it's it's almost a double-edged sword like the world is really your oyster where you have probably the pedigree to do anything you want to do but uh, probably what you want to do you can't do anymore like your best years are behind you and you're not even old enough to buy a beer legally mm-hmm. yeah that's crazy yeah that is Nastia Lukin that's who I was thinking of what's her name Nastia Lukin who won the gold that year mm-hmm. she won the Gold. I guess actually that must have been Beijing. Is that? Yeah. Was Beijing two thousand eight? Yeah. And then twelve was London. Right. Beijing all around. Yep. 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 Didn't yeah. make the last. Uh, I guess she tried to get make the last uh, Olympic team, but did not make it. Hey, since you got the uh, the old one of those interwebs up, look at what's Mary Lou Retton doing with her time. Just out of curiosity. And how much weedy box money do you think they make? Um it's like gotta a be a dollars. What's a million? Yeah, it's 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 a lot. Yeah, it's a it's a, see, a decent chunk of change. Which is amazing because the who eats Wheaties? I <laughs> like seriously, that's like it's like Sports Illustrated in the swimsuit issue. Like around the Olympics, Wheaties must do like ten times the business that they do like any other time. These it's what, a terrible cereal. When's the last time you ate Wheaties? Oh, like it would have it would have to be like an Olympics. Like <laughs> seriously, it might have been like Sydney. Uh, I, mean, I think the last time I ate Wheaties, I was at Boy Scout camp when I was like thirteen or twelve because that's all they offered. You know because. It was either Wheaties or Raisin Bran, and Raisin Bran got inhaled by the kids ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. So I'm sure I don't know. It's Mary Lou Retton up with her time. Um, she's a paid spokeswoman for Biomet and Pfizer. Okay. To, she suffered from incontinence due to an overactive bladder, arthritis, and hemorrhoids. <laughs> and paid. <laughs> Can that be real? She had some kind of hip replacement surgery in her in her thirties. Yeah. Um, let's see. She has many commercial endorsements, including bowling and shampoo. Bowling. Yeah. B o w l i n g. She's an outspoken supporter of the Reagan administration. Yeah, I re- you're too young for this, but I remember. You know, what was it? Let's see, was it 1984 Los Angeles games that she did that? Mm-hmm. Was that a big one? So Reagan was already, he was uh, getting ready to be reelected for a second term. That's when, you know, Ron and Nancy were the king and queen of the United States. I remember seeing her uh, with the Gipper at the White House. And, you know, you forget what a statue-esque guy he was. He's, you know, big, tall dude. And then you see this small little gymnast next to him, you know, basically clamoring all over him. Yeah, I. <sighs> she was also in this Super Bowl commercial in 2014 for Radio Shack. Uh, Speaking of Radio Shack. <coughs> <laughs> How did I forget Kinda. about this? Well, if we're going to get this party started, we should get going. Oh. Let's go. So what's the... Hey, Kyle. What? What happened to my hair? Yeah. I cut most of it off, shaved most of my face. You're looking, looking man. dapper. Yeah, I'm trying. Seven years younger. Uh, it's, I don't feel 40. Uh, my knees felt 40 after hiking Arches and Canyonland and Dead Horse Point this last weekend. Where, what, best thing you saw? Uh, it's going to sound silly. Uh, driving down the Newspaper Rock in the southern part of Canyonland. So we were trying to get to uh, 
uh, shoot the place where James Franco's arm got cut off. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I forget which canyon. It's, I think it's Blue John, Blue John Ravine or something like that. That's right. But uh, we go to newspaper. Uh, we went to Newspaper Rock and checked it out. And uh, the two, my two favorite stories from that moment is Aaron was irate that somebody had climbed over there and scribbled something else into the wall itself. You mm-hmm. know, like so you have all these beautiful petroglyphs that have been right. left there, and you're kind of looking at it and trying to process it. And you see the cocapellis, and you see just the different animals and the birds and stuff. And then you see somebody written up there, and it was like I'm going to make up the name. I don't know. It's like HGR. You yeah. Know? And then you see January nineteenth, you know, eighteen ninety three. Right. And then. Her reaction was like, even though this was 130 years ago, it's like, people are such jerks, you know, writing graffiti. It's like, I don't think they had the sense of preservation of historical landmarks, you know, you know, before the 19, uh, for the 1900s. Uh, driving back into Moab for that night, though, as we were coming down, the, as we're coming down into the, into this sort of ravine right before you get to the highway that takes you back into Moab, I see off in the distance one deer on the side of the road and knowing Aaron loves the deer so much that I pump the brakes to, you know, just kind of get a good look at it. Maybe she can get a picture. And at that moment, a herd of deer <laughs> crossed the road, probably about over 20 of them. You know, we took yeah. some video footage of it and, you know, checked it out. But, I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, it's nice. Really, it was actually a, kind of a really neat, special moment checking that out. Uh, the only other story about Dead Horse Point's disappointing the hike. Uh, the view on it is second to none. You know, it, it really it might be one of the most picturesque things I've ever seen in Utah. Yeah. And and, and I'm going to put that up against Bryce Canyon, Hiking Angels Landing, even uh, like Wall Street inside of the Narrows. But um, upheaval dome in Canyonlands right. where the meteor crashed into it, you don't have to be a geologist to know something crazy happened there. You yes. Know, all the sediment that's kind of built up there with the different layers and stuff right. like that. And then you see this almost aquamarine blue stone that are shooting up at a almost a forty-five degree angle from that, and it's uh-huh. just, I could it, I think it'd been really exciting to be some of the first uh, Western explorers to see that, you know, and with you know minimal knowledge of geography at that. I'm sorry, geology at the time, and you see that, and it's got to be holy crap, something huge happened here. Like this is so incongruous with the rest of this landscape that <laughs> that was that was absolutely spectacular. I hate upheaval dome. Hate it. Why is that? Because I'm afraid I'm going to fall in. I could. <laughs> Like, <laughs> that's the fear too. Wait, where is that? Upheaval, uh, Dome? Upheaval Dome at Canyonlands. Yeah, I, we went there. The first time we went there, we took uh, we had our girls with us, and um, the whole time I'm like grabbing them. I have them by like the hoods of their sweatshirts because uh-huh. I was afraid that they were going to fall in. I I realized it's a completely irrational fear, and I the weird thing is like if I'm climbing up something, I'm fine. But if I'm up at the top, I'm afraid I'm going to fall in. That's my problem with Bryce, too, is that I'm always afraid I'm going to fall in. I had a really good friend when I played rugby named Ray Diebald, and uh, he was a school teacher, and he had he had a, he always said it was diagnosed. I don't believe that, but I believe that he was serious about it. He said that he could never look over ledges, bridges, canyon walls, and stuff yeah. like that because he was afraid he would just jump. Yeah. Like he was like just spontaneously like a lemur, just jump off the side of whatever without any thinking. It just almost impulsively doing it and so yeah. he kind of mm-hmm. lived his life in a way that was you know he really avoided patios and you know bridges and stuff i mean it, it was it was kind of wild to see that you know huh uh the the last cool thing that was the very last day <coughs> we were uh doing devil's garden uh in arches national mm. park the entire park itself was free for the president's day weekend <laughs> Uh, free for the President's Day weekend. So on Monday, before we headed back to Salt Lake City, we get out there and we're hiking all the way out to double the double arch. And yeah. So while hiking out there, you get six really good hikes in there. I can kind of see, like, with tournament play with athletes, like, and I remember this from my rugby playing days, is that I was so sore. My knees were just swollen cantaloupes. My thighs and calves were just jello. That at that moment we were just like I'm just in pain, so I'm just going to walk and yeah. kind of taking it. So I actually had this kind of a, almost a, not a surreal, but like a serenity when I was hiking, where I really was kind of taking all the sights and stuff. Early in the morning, wasn't a lot of traffic. We get to four miles out to where the double o, the double O is. Sheesh! And as we're checking it out, it's absolutely spectacular. And then I say to Aaron, I go, you know what? Why don't we do the entire loop? It's an extra five miles, you know, but it's only it's an hour. It's a, I'm sorry, it's a mile more than what we hiked. But we'll right. do the entire loop. We'll get back to the truck. You can. She has this amazing ability as an adult where as soon as a car gets moving, she passes out. <laughs> it's remarkable. 
it's almost, I mean, we're not talking about an 18-month-old girl here. Yeah. Know? We're talking about a woman <laughs> in her 30s, a long road trip she's sawing logs. She looks at me and says, we are leaving right now because I don't like the weather. And as I look up above us, I look above us. At it, arches? At arches. And it was like, it was cloudy-esque, but it was still a lot of blue in the sky. And I was also thinking, well, you know, we've been away from the house for two days. Yeah. You know, it's, maybe it's just time to go home. And, and it was also like. Well, had you guys been camping or did you stay at a hotel? We stayed in a, a motel. Okay. So, so it, but anyway, it was just like, you know, if you need to leave, if you want to leave and we want to get home, that's fine. So. We start walking back, and, you know, the trail back is wonderful. You walk on a couple of ledges. you got to do some rock scampering. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the views are spectacular. There's crows everywhere in the sky mixed with the hawks, and it was just absolutely stunning. By the time we got back to the truck, the clouds had opened up as bad as I've ever seen it in my entire life, where you and I are right now, what, five feet apart from each other? Maybe. Maybe six, yeah. five, six feet apart. From, I couldn't see it. It was coming down. It was one of those. Uh, wow. It was one of those. Remember the, when you were a kid in uh, school and they'd show those nature reels about the yeah. desert reanimating itself with flash floods? The water came down so hard. It came down like a shower bucket that when, if I was thinking about, like, if we had been taking the route I would have wanted to take, we would have been the one mile left back to the truck in the middle of a wash. Like, oh, for the first time holy ever. Cow. And so. I don't know if she had a premonition, if she's just, you know, spoke with nature or we were, you know, we probably should have driven uh, right to Las Vegas and, you know, put all that money down on double O on the roulette table. But, I mean, it was, it was spectacular. It was unbelievable. Huh. Nice. Yeah. It's a cool part of the state. Uh, we started, uh, I was, uh, Kyle and I were talking a little bit. I just was asking him about this Enos cancer trade, you know, cause it yeah. happened right after one o'clock, uh, they sent him to OKC and then there was Kendrick Perkins getting sent back here. And, uh, Kyle was explaining to me, you know, buying out a contract. What, do, wh- why would the jazz want to do that? Well, it's the, it's the other stuff that they get. It, it basically, you take, you take the, you take a piece like that and you take it on because of the other stuff you're getting, which is still. Unfortunately, here at uh, Talking Time has still not. I haven't seen officially what it is, but yeah, yeah you know, it, 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 you take on draft. Spence, Spence was saying, Spence Checkets was saying that it's um, first round pick, second round pick, and rights to uh, some international player who I don't really know. But yeah, I, I mean that's why you do it. The the player uh, Perkins, um, yeah, he, he's is that, is it, it, the money has weight. to match yeah. up. Yeah. So it's just they buy him out so they can have cap room for those is other this things. A first and a second round pick, Tony Jones is uh, tweeting. Is this officially with their 19 and 34 record? They are just, they're done. They're going for the lottery. They're no. Not, they're not even going to try and make it for an eight seed in the tournament uh, for the playoffs. I don't think so. I think that, um, I think, well, Kander had said that he wasn't happy. He told our, our, the Tribunes, Aaron Falk, that he wasn't happy. And I mean, when Wait, a guy isn't recording? happy. What's that? Are we recording? We've been recording for about 18 minutes. I'm going to edit out a lot of this. Including that part where you're like, oh, dude, this video is killer. And then it was silent. That That's not good podcasting, Kyle. No, it, it, I'll make it's you a look. a rookie mistake. And, you know, trust me, at 1840, 18 minutes and 45 seconds, I'm not going to make you look bad, Kyle. We're going to take all this out. I'll send you I'll send you a pre-copy of this. What? Pre-com. Yeah. Okay. We're definitely editing this part. Out. Why do you? Okay. Why don't you ever say we're recording now? Yeah, like, because he likes the cold open, or like the warm yeah. open. I guess. Yeah. Is it cold or hot? Uh, I think this would be a. I think we just ease into it. Mm. You know, just get to get the juices flowing. It's sort of like taking a slow lap around the track before we do our wind sprints. So, so you so, so uh, nineteen and thirty four. They're just saying we're done. We're not going to even make a go for it. No, I don't think so. I think that what they've kind of realized is. Um, Canner wanted more playing time, and we want other people to get more playing time. Rudy. Right. And so you trade them and you get assets. I mean, that it makes sense when you think about it that way if we're trying to develop. Canner's not in their future. I mean, they. Once <laughs> no, you make he that isn't decision, anymore. <laughs> I mean, once you make that decision, though, it's like, it's, it's sort of, you know, for, I think for the management and the team and the fans, just like, okay, well. We know Canner's not going to be in Utah forever, so now we're just treading water until, until we can make a move or until the contract expires. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so, so I think it was just, I don't know. Obviously, he had value as an asset, and it looked like he he would have kept playing if if he had stayed past the trade deadline. But at a certain point, if if 
you know you got to make a move and then some a deal comes up where they said hey we'll we'll help you out with future guys that you know and and if i'm remembering correctly was dennis Lindsay around when Cantor got picked i'm not sure Cantor is a dennis Lindsay guy um but but it's a sort of a chance for dennis Lindsay to be like okay well i'm accumulating picks here's more guys for me to kind of put my stamp on this team get the personnel i want and i can bring in and kind of plan for the future of the guys who are going to be here. You know, speaking of guys that don't want to be uh, with the Utah Jazz and guys that want to be with the New York Yankees, I thought it would be fun if we would read Alex Rodriguez's handwritten note, and I would like to get both of your reactions to this. Oh, I have, some, I have a reaction. Okay, good. So, um, handwritten. Handwritten. Yes, yeah, so uh, and cursive, too. I was impressed with that. Although some of the tweets I saw were it's going to be revealed that he didn't actually write it, which I thought was funny. How funny would that be? That would be awesome. How would great – I would, but you know, when you have a, two, a quarter of a billion dollars of money coming your way and stuff like that, why would you not have just – Well, uh, go ahead. Anyway, go ahead. So let's read. All right, uh, to the fans. All right, here's where here, – okay, I'm going to stop you. Go right ahead and interrupt me. Here's the problem. He That's has not. Controversial. So this is a letter to nobody. He has no fans left. Who likes the guy? Who thinks he's going to hit above – 275, maybe 280. The guy is so done. Can we get the letter? Can we get the letter in? Like, can we can we read the text uh, of the do letter? Do we want that read we... in? No, because I know I... it's a letter to no one now. Did you handwrite it, by the way? No, I typed it out. Oh, well, actually, I copied and pasted it. That's just <laughs> on that. All right, to the fans. I take full responsibility for the mistakes that led to my suspension for the 2014 season. I regret that my actions made the situation worse than it needed to be. To the Major League Baseball the Yankees, the Steinbrenner family, the Players Association, and you, the fans, I can only say I'm sorry. I accept the fact that many of you will not believe my apology or anything that I say at this point. I understand why, and that's on me. It was gracious of the Yankees to offer me the use of Yankee Stadium for this apology, but I decided the next time I am in Yankee Stadium, I should be in pinstripes doing my job. Just as a note that if I wrote that for you using Yankees twice in a sentence, you would edit one of them out. I'm just saying, uh, stylistically, you would have lost your you would have lost your uh, spittle on that. Already did. Okay, I served uh, the longest suspension in the history of the league for PED use. The commissioner has said the matter is over. The players' association has said the same. The Yankees have said the next step is to play baseball. I am ready to put this chapter behind me and play some ball. This game has been my single biggest passion since I was a teenager. When I go to spring training, I will do every everything I can to be the best player and teammate possible. Earn a spot on the Yankees and help us win. Sincerely, Alex. <laughs> there, Kyle. We've read the whole letter. Your thoughts? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, does anyone really believe that? That uh, I, I'm sort of with Kevin on this one. I just kind of wanted A-Rod, since he's not here, to have his first word in. But uh, I kind of with Kevin on this one. I don't know who supports him. As far as I know, New Yorkers want to get rid of him and would love to see him. I mean – the problem is New York just can't afford to buy him out because his last contract was so freaking huge. You know, it's $61 million that runs through 2017. It's insane. I, I think if it were me, the letter I would have written would be, Dear Yankees fans, because I have none. <laughs> First of all, let's clear the air. I am a douche. <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah, you don't like me. Podcast. You don't like me. I don't think much of you. I'm probably going to hit maybe 260. Going to strike out in some key spots. You're going to boo me. But you know what? Too bad because you owe me half a billion dollars. <laughs> Up yours. Go Yanks. You know, And I, sorry, Steinbrenner fans. I feel like... I feel like Kevin's advising A-Rod to take like a WWE style heel turn just officially. Just you might as well. It. Why not? <laughs> you know, the la- that's a pretty good script. The last, you know, one of the last guys who ever did that was John Rocker, and it worked to his oh, advantage gosh. with the Braves fans. John Rocker. He knew his audience when he said that stuff. Uh, okay, Kyle. Not Wait. defending him. I am not defending John Rocker's behavior. I'm just saying that he knew who his fan base was. He was very, very intuitive on that. For the love of all things holy, let's hope you're not. I am not John defending Rocker. John Rocker. But Kyle, I mean, really, if if A Rod had released a statement like mine, you'd at least believe it, right? You'd yeah. at least be like, yeah, that kind of sounds like him. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's what it is. I don't think I don't think anyone's expecting him to come in to spring camp and be like. Well, I just gotta earn my spot now. Like he's he's expecting to be there. He's expecting to bat 
that third or fourth. He's expecting all this stuff that comes with the player he's been for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever and sort of been trailing off the last couple of years. I mean, he's basically he, – he and Kobe are kind of like having these parallel paths right now where, you know, probably Kobe is, is a higher-level player when he's healthy, but it's sort of the same deal. It's like they're reaching a certain age. Their, their talents are tailing off. You can't build – teams around guys like that anymore but in their minds they're still like the same guy they're still uh, superstars Alex Rodriguez is 39 years old you're absolutely right you can't build anything around him his batting average the last season that he played because Mm. 2013 uh, 2013 was his batting average was 248 in uh, 2012 272 276 in 2011, 270 in 2010. That's not a good average since 2010. How is he and he took power? all of last year off. How was he hitting for power with those years, though? Those years? At 30 homers in 2010, then uh, 16, 18, and 7. Now, re- remember, he, he didn't play much so in many, 2013. He's also missed so many games with, even before the suspension, with yeah. injury. Right. With in- right. He hasn't been healthy, and it's sort of like – it's sort of that same guiding mentality where, you know, his his body's kind of going in one direction and his mind is sort of on that straight track. Like, well, right. I'm still a primetime player. I still and, – and there's certainly a, a, a marketability factor. He, he probably brings some dollars to New York still, but at I, the same you time – You think so still? I mean, he's, he's, he's a big name. You know, how many people went to watch Barry Bonds to uh, not only hit the home runs, also to boo him? Well, in in the visiting park, she went to boo him, but I, I don't I don't think A Rod is anywhere near Barry Bonds. Does he have his six hundred home no. runs yet? Boo, A Rod, uh, yes. A Rod, oh, yeah, he's yeah. got his six hundred home runs. Yeah. What's yeah. yeah. uh, the we're looking up on the fancy uh, interweb? Six fifty four. Said six fifty four. Yeah. Right. So uh, who's he marching up on on the home run record Which, board? Who, Jimmy Fox. <laughs> 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 I wish I knew this. I should know this. Mm. Seriously, know. you really should, Kyle. I'm pretty what disappointed you? that you don't. Um, because Willie mean, Mays is next. Willie 660. Oh. A Rod's A Rod's number five. Uh, Willie Mays. What a sad day. That's he's six be. behind yeah. Willie Mays, uh, and then it, it's Babe, Hank, and Barry. Babe, Hank, and Barry. Yeah. yeah, and every you know it was funny at the time when, you know, when Barry Bonds broke the record. Um, you know, at the time, I guess A Rod must have been like 32 or 33, and every every all the media at the time was saying, "Well, you know, it'll be good when Alex Rodriguez eventually surpasses <laughs> right Barry Bonds. That record will be clean again, man." <laughs> Which is pure laughable now. I mean, and I think around that time he admitted to PED use because remember he had the one incident that he admitted to the uh, clear. Um, no, I don't Wait, remember. Wait, Barry or Alex? Cause no Alex. Oh, I thought he was talking about okay. Alex. Pardon no, me, when Alex admitted to PED use, what, in like 2008, 2009? And then, and then now this latest thing is like, well, like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, two strikes. You know? It's like, at least. That's what the ones we know about. I don't know. I just... What do you think? What would you say if the Yankees uh, send him down to AAA and they send him to the Scranton Rail Riders, and then you just let him play there? I think the New York Post would have a field day every day on their cover. How much fun would it be to be a Scranton Rail Rider fan for nah, this, this they, spring? They can't for, send him down. What's that? They can't send him down. Why not? Because uh, he is a veteran player. They won't send him down. Yeah. No but, way. How about, but though, you still make your money. You're just not going to be the Yankees, you know. Oh, just release well, him. Uh, yeah, but then pay the money. I, I think I think he'll have a role probably as, like, a DH, I would think. I think he'd look good in a Padre uniform. I actually thought about that. Yeah? I honestly did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, Can they afford him? <laughs> no. Sure, if the Yankees release him. Then they sign him. Then they pay him the minor, the major league minimum, what, what's and the in, Yankees what, pay the why rest. Why is in the Yankees' interest to to release him? I mean, it's it's really not. They just pay him money to walk, and right, to make him go away. He can still. I mean, he can still. I know we were just talking mess on him, but he can still hit. He can still hit for power. And if you, and if him, you made him like in every 
like an every other day player or you play three games and then skip one game as a DH like maybe he could be more well effective. he's also you know he's a Florida guy so you got teams down there that would you know put him on the Marlins you know have him I mean that would, it might even be a good fit for him back there have yeah. him get back down well, except there except the except those teams don't want to take on that contract no one wants to take on that contract New York's one of the few teams that can pay off that contract and yeah. take that hit I mean it, and and Will they be? I'm not just talking about writing about this. Like, will this be taught in like sports management classes, if not now, for years to come? The dangers of having these ten year, ten year quarter of a billion dollar contracts. You'd think, but here's the problem with, with team management. I mean, so many of these GMs are former players. I mean, just guys who bring credibility with their names and their, you know, their career stats, and they're going against agents who did actually train for this in school you know what yeah. i mean it's like they went to they went to law school and they work for these like you know cutthroat firms and they it's like all, the agents have all the leverage because they've been training to do this for years and years and years and teams keep hiring a happy face and a well-known face to like put it in their front office and these guys get taken advantage of time after time yeah it's like i mean it's i think it's worse in the nba Personally, I think I think the NBA might have some of the worst of it. Baseball is pretty bad because they don't have caps. Um, but it's just a lot of these GMs out there are just are just guys who played baseball, like theoretically know about you know the talent it takes to win, but maybe don't know as much as the agents they're negotiating with about contracts and what's wise. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't know. I think the learning curve's got to increase pretty quickly, though. You know, I mean, we talk about the, the sabermetrics and the money ball. The, that, that, was a, that was a new concept 15 years ago, and now that's, you know, it's almost becoming the law of the land. I mean, it, it's got to be. I don't know. I mean, like, you look at what the Angels did a couple years ago with Pujols and right. Hamilton. Like, that doesn't appear to be working didn't out work all out at all. well. It's, I mean, it still happens. Like, we, we talk about the lessons to learn, but I think the people who are learning the most are the agents who are able to say, well, this guy got paid this, this guy got paid this, this guy got paid this. Why are you screwing my guy over? And they just seem to have more leverage for whatever reason. I don't know whether it's smarts or market demands, but it seems to that all kind of play a part yeah. in kind of how messed up some of these salaries have become. The, uh, did you see that Bernie Williams, uh, Jorge Posada, and Andy Pettit's numbers are being retired by the Yanks? I, I saw who was it, who who was it who was getting all salty on Twitter about Pettit? Chuck Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch, who <laughs> was like I hope they were, uh, or like they'll retire it like they retired his steroid testimony or whatever it was. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I am I am not a Yankee fan whatsoever after what they did to my beloved Padres, but you know it's like it's hard not to when you sort of start following sports to. Take an eye, to, you know, one of the, who's one of the first players all of us learn about as kids? Babe Ruth. It's Babe Ruth, you know, and right. so you, you you want you know you want his number three retired, and you start looking at Mickey and Ma Mickey Mantle and uh, DiMaggio, and uh, you know, there's there's I, you can make the case for a lot of the people they've retired, and it's like nothing for nothing against Bernie Williams, like you know, I think he's, a, he's not even close to that. He is he's not even in the conversation. No, you know, and. And I love – Jorge Posada is the only Yankee that I've ever loved. I love the way that he would stare down the Yankees. I mean, he was the brute to uh, the prince of Derek Jeter for the Yankees for all those years. I mean, the they're guy – They're I mean, he was a firecracker, and he was able to control that, uh, that pitching staff and stuff like that. But even still, you know. It's, it, you like, in their best years, they were really good players. Yeah, and they were great. I guess what, all-stars? They were pro probably all of them were, like – four or five year all-stars at least but it they're not even close it's, to the yankee greats yeah not you know it's, it's i think that's my whole point with this is like and, and pettit you know he's great you know they're, they're all yeah. great players you know what i'm saying they are not is, did pettit get in the hall of fame uh no he's not el eligible yet, no i don't yeah i don't think he's eligible but it's like you talk about just diluting the product you know i mean I, i'd be embarrassed as a yankee fan to have these guys you know with their numbers retired up there not, not because these guys are criminals or, you know, jerkweeds and, you know, they should be thrown off a high bridge. It's just – There's some goofy sentiment going on. Yeah, it's – it's. A, I mean, you want to talk about – we were talking about cash grabs earlier. This feels like a cash grab. Are you going to Jorge Posada night? <laughs> like Jorge Posada bobblehead night? Like, eh, f that. 
He's a champion, man. It, Don't. Are, are we but, sure they're retiring jerseys, or is it like a circle of honor? Uh, they're, no. Right. They aren't retiring the jerseys. They are uh, putting them into the. Uh... No, 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 no. This one, I this one, I know. They're retiring oh. the numbers. Really? Yes. To your wow. interwebs. <laughs> wow. This you... is an awfully Yankees-heavy show you've put together. Uh, here, we're going to move it to the Utes in just a minute here, because that's why we brought old Kyle Goon here. But that's um. I, I, mean, I could I could sing the praises of Jorge Posada. Yeah, no, you're right. Retiring number 46 uh-huh. yeah. in honor of Andy Pettit, yeah. who I, I, th- I want First to say off, even at his peak, pl- was he the best pitcher on the Yankees? No, and he also was an Astro. He's not like even a I mean, – Posada at least was a career Yankee, you know? And it's like I, so, I, I just I, I just can't I, – I don't know. I just – I mean, I, number so – like Andy Pettit, like he was on the staffs with like – with you know what, Messina and like Clemens and and who like there was always a better starter than him. I feel like he was your he was your go to number three. Yeah, he, um, or and like a, a number solid two. what or number two or number two, but a solid uh, two or three. You know, like and you know he's going to go out there and probably win you. Check it up, 15, 16 games a year for you. You know, like guaranteed he's got that in the bag. But even yeah. still, like Whitey Ford spinning in his scotch soaked grave. <laughs> Anyway. anyway, I want to move this on because we. He do- only played three seasons with the Astros. Okay, three out of his eighteen years. Fifteen years were with the Yankees. That's one six. The mighty Yankees. One six. The Yankees. Fair. Uh, no, I I think he would be a Yankee, but it. I, I'm not even sure he's a Hall of Famer. Is he? I don't think so. No. Like when when he come when he comes becomes eligible, I don't think. He's certainly not a first ballot guy. Yeah, and I think Bernie Williams hasn't he been eligible for a couple of years and. Hasn't been inducted. Okay, I, I will bet. I'll bet every dollar in my wallet right now. Bernie Williams gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before he gets in the Cooperstown. Okay, he's a fine jazz guitarist. No, I, I, <laughs> that is not happening. That's that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. All right. Uh, Kyle, great story that you wrote about uh, Larry and the Tink. Uh, I'm sorry, Tinkle. But uh, t- <laughs> I don't know why he's not the Tink. <laughs> His nickname is Tinks. Tinks. Oh, Tinks. Okay. So uh, give. Uh, I need to take a Tinks, and you tell me all about uh, the, the story. And also, with six games left in the year with the Utah uh, University of Utah uh, Utes, as they're looking to go to the Pac-12 um, <clears throat> uh, Pac-12 champ, uh, tournament, as well as looking in for the March Madness. Uh, what, what's it been like covering this team this year? And just uh, kind of some general thoughts on that. It's pretty nutty because you just come to expect that same thing that they've done over and over again this year, which is just beat the crap out of um, out of every team they play, basically, except for, you know, a couple of those ranked teams. I mean, that, that Arizona game especially where they got beat by um, a, a bunch was, was a bit of a sore point for the season. Um, but, you know, just like going to the Huntsman Center for every home game and just – so honestly, like my mentality covering the team has just been like, so what point do they pull away? Because mm. they've won every Pac-12 home game by 15 or more, and it's just like, okay, so they'll like pull away now or. So when are they tightening away? the noose in the game? Exactly, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, and and honestly, like that's um, it's it's stunning how few games I've covered where I've had to pay cl- very close attention to the last five minutes of the game. I mean, I, I can't – I think, like, something like 18 or 19 of their games have been decided by 15 points or more. Like, it's it's insane. How does he have the – how is he able to find the balance between teaching his players to be so tough, but he's actually kind of a congenial, nice guy? It's like, how does – does he have a switch he can turn? Do, have you seen that switch thrown? Um, or, is he just ha- or is he just a really good teacher of young men in basketball? Well, Larry – in general does come off as kind of a, a, like you said, a congenial nice guy, but there's sort of a fire there. I mean, there definitely is, and, and we sort of covered it in our story today about uh, him at Montana. I mean, he was a fiery player, mm-hmm. competitive. He, you know, the, that part of that storyline was Larry beating up on Wayne Tinkle, who was a freshman at the time, because he believed that. A, a preppy? Yeah, a preppy, because <laughs> he believed that it was a senior's job to beat up on a freshman. Mm. And you know what? He still believes that. 
and he's he encourages that I I think with his own team uh-huh. and and you know he's he made it he was kind of saying in October before the season started it's like it's good to kind of see the freshmen you know start to sweat a little bit and and get challenged and get pushed and have to fight through adversity and I think that's sort of what he wants to bring into his practices just just toughness and and physicality um and and just challenge people mentally um to to be tough players so i I think that's sort of the tenet of what larry has kind of accomplished with this group this year i mean and and they're very good at when there's an opportunity to put another team away they they seize it what am I wrong to to have like moments of being reminiscent of Coach Jerry Sloan when I see uh, the running Utes and seeing him on the sidelines? I mean, or have you kind of gotten that sense that they kind of are cut from the same bolt of cloth? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, Larry obviously played for Jerry when he was um, with the Jazz, and I think he takes a lot of inspiration from um, how how the Jazz kind of ran things. I think ideally he would kind of like to be a a post-focused team, um, you know, hasn't really found his Carl Malone yet. But uh, excuse me, uh, he 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 believed a lot in sort of Jerry Jerry's work ethic and and sort of what he brought to the table, and also what Jerry, I guess, when he was coaching, would say to the team: "It's like you don't have to do a lot of stuff. You don't know how to do everything. Just the things you know how to do." Just do it well. Just are those four or five plays that are going to be our bread and butter. Like, let's just make these work. And you kind of see some of that when they do go to the pick and roll with DeLon Wright and Yaka Pirtle. I mm-hmm. mean, that's kind of a slam bang, bang you're not going to stop us kind of play. So, I mean, they don't they don't run it every time successfully, but when it's it's run well, it's just un, undefendable. From your uh, vantage point, the Huntsman Center, obviously it's got to be some of the most ruckus crowds you've seen in a long time, right? I mean, I went to the University of Maryland. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's any Comcast so, yes. or Duke. For, our, for Pac-12 teams. Uh, um, oh, for sure. It, the the must is really in effect. Yeah, Huntsman Center this year has been really, um, really revved up as far as a lot of college ball, basketball arenas are. I mean, I'm not sure if, you, if you've seen this, but – Attendance has been down across the country for college basketball, and that's a variety of reasons. Um, probably the the biggest of which is that you know it's just getting easier to see basketball on TV, mm-hmm. and a lot of people would just rather go to the comfort of their own living rooms to to watch basketball. But in a basketball centric town like Salt Lake, you get your choices between the Utah Jazz and go see the running Utes. I mean, is it a basketball centric town? I, it's still a football town, I think. Yeah, but I I, basketball is. is a close second, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... Followed I, by field hockey and longboarding down the avenues. I think what Utah has done a good job of, <laughs> of doing is, is kind of tapping into... I mean, ever since Chris Goviak came to Utah, he's been very interested in tapping into the history here. Um, you know, obviously Utah has its national championship. Ch- is it chips from the 40s and... And uh, and uh, four the and Rick Majerus years, yeah. Um, and I think Larry's always been very interested in tapping into that energy and spirit because I mean, especially Majerus, like a lot of people around here remember that. Yeah. Um, and there are some people who are around those teams who are on the staff and and who are still involved in Utah athletics and and I think it's kind of fun for people to kind of feel like, hey, those days are coming back. You know, for all three of us who have covered a basketball game, but we know, uh, and so you know what it's like when you're on the press row watching this. But from your vantage point, when they take a tw- uh, like a, a timeout and you see Larry huddle up the guys, I mean, what's his body language like? Is it just, is he just you kind of in control of these guys, and he's a master of that team? Yeah, he's very commanding, um, and you know, with rare exceptions, I would say that he kind of has this team bent to his will I mean there's only been a handful of times that I've been able to see someone acting out and and him having to sit a guy and you know more this team has sort of a culture right now where if that happens you know then Larry's gonna tell that kid look listen to your teammates they're gonna steer you right here Mm -hmm. so I mean it's it's pretty impressive to me how 
you know, I was watching Duke, North Carolina last night. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, the tempo of the game was crazy. There was a lot of scoring, but also just a lot of, um, you know, just sloppy shots. Yeah. Um, and I think it, in, in my brain, it was just kind of telling me, like, this is sloppy basketball because I've become so accustomed to seeing Utah kind of run its half-court offense, kind of w- take down the time, and then just take a, a pretty good shot usually. I mean, they usually, if you look at their shot charts, there's usually at least one half where they just have, like, all all their two-point shots are within five feet of the rim. It's like a sniper, like, taking, taking an expert marksman grouping, like, on a, on a bullseye chart, mm-hmm. you know? And then then just three-point shots. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's very tightly grouped around the rim. They just find good shots. And and I was watching North Carolina, especially in those first couple of minutes, just kind of take these weird, like, two-point jumpers and, like, hard to I, land things. I, chalk, I, I watched the same game, and I chalked it up to a little bit of emotion with the Dean Smith, yeah. you know, mo- a moment at the beginning. Because those kids look kind of, they looked kind of raw when mm-hmm. they, you know, at the tip-off. So I agree with you on that, though. It was sloppy, and it, it didn't have At least the, at the start. At the start, yeah. But, uh, so, so I think, but it's it was so distinctive to me. I think because I've been watching this team at Utah do the same thing all year and just play very controlled, very deliberate basketball. With uh, six more games left in the uh, their season right now, can they win out? They can. Do you I think th- they'll win? Do you think at least five games? Do you think they will win out? <laughs> it's very tough for me. I, I um. It's hard. It's hard to put you in the spot because I don't want you handicapping the team you're covering right. and stuff like that. But it uh, that, that, that's pretty tough because no, I, they're I, not going to win out. I, I don't know. I don't know that last time they played Arizona. I mean, the second half they just got dominated so thoroughly. Um, you know, I think surely they've learned some lessons from that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can't really unsee how how Arizona was able to beat them and. How they were able to beat them was just with athleticism, just leaping over guys, mm-hmm. elbowing them out of the way, and just muscling in for rebounds and second chances and inside shots. And I mean, it's not like when Utah faces Arizona the second time next Saturday that Arizona is going to be any less of an athletic team. Yeah, that's true. So that that kind of gets to me. But at the same time, it's the Huntsman Center. Arizona has a couple really weird losses um, to Arizona State and Oregon State and UNLV. Um, so they have let down games. But I would expect that they bring their best against Utah next Saturday, February 28th. And, uh, and, and uh, I would expect probably a single-digit game. I'm not sure which way it goes, but I think it will be a tough, tough game. Yeah, so you have two more home games, and then they're on, they're on the road four and on the home two more, right? That's, that's correct. Cool. Well, uh, you were talking about American Sniper. we got to wrap this up pretty close because we're getting ready to do a big thing. Um, Want to get some predictions from you guys? I know you can't uh, tell me if they're going to win out for the rest of the year. Kevin? No. You don't, do, you don't have a best picture pick? I I, I, I don't feel ashamed to say I haven't seen any of them. Okay. So give me Birdman. You got Birdman? Yep. I saw, I saw American Sniper, and I was disappointed. I thought it was atrocious. What else you got? Bring it. Uh, Boyhood, Imitation Game, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Birdman, Selma, The Theory of Everything, Whiplash, and American Sniper. Birdman. I haven't seen enough of the movies. I saw Imitation Game and American Sniper. I, th- I think Clint Eastwood is just losing his touch. I, I, I love Clint Eastwood. I thought it was director. discombobulated and was disrespectful to Chris Kyle. It was It was, it was a disrespectful movie. That that scene where he shoots the other sniper from, like, two miles away or whatever, it's, it, and, like, they slow it down so you could see the guy's, like, head rock back. You, it was, like, the silliest, goofiest I, thing, the it, bullet going in slow motion. I was like, why are you doing this? None of the rest of the movie is like this. And then the most the power, one of the most powerful scenes is that helicopter in front of that sandstorm. Yeah. No payoff. Zero payoff. Oh, I could watch can't guys. Can't see anything. It was an atrocious movie. You like, know, it's a hot mess. Uh, I'm going to say this. I saw Whiplash. It's probably the best movie. Even a Boyhood, I saw that as well. Whiplash is the most spectacular movie I've ever seen, and it's only about a teacher and a drummer. I, I mm-hmm. cannot recommend Whiplash enough. And if it happens to win, going off at sixty to one right now, like that. I love J.K. Simmons. He is fantastic in that. He's fantastic in everything. Yeah, this one in particular, he is absolutely fantastic. Boyhood should win because it's a the the labor that went into it. It's second to none. You know, yeah. just a discipline to make something like that it was incredible. 
Uh, best actor, we got Keaton and Birdman, uh, Eddie Redman, Theory of Everything, Benedict Cumberbatch, Imitation Game, Steve Crow, Foxcatcher, and Bradley Cooper, and American Sniper. I think it's I think it's gonna be Michael Keaton. Throw Agreed. it back. Throw it back. The '80s called. They want their leading man back. <laughs> you know what? It's the, one of the best movies I've ever seen that I walked out of theater scratching my head. It's like yeah. I loved everything about it, and I didn't understand a single single thing about it. I was so confused walking out of it. All I knew is I enjoyed it. Have you seen Inherent Vice? Yeah, uh, no, I just finished reading the book. <sighs> that movie is weird and insane, and I can't. I still can't decide if. Thomas I Pinchon is exactly who he is in real life on the basis of the book. That guy is nuts, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I also recommend reading that. Uh, we're with best actress Julia Moore and still Alice Reese Witherspoon, Wild Rosamund Pike, Gone Girl, Felicia Jones, The Theory of Everything, and Marianne Cotillard in Two Days One Night. I haven't seen any of these movies except Gone Girl. I saw Gone Girl. I saw Gone Girl too. Oh gosh, Neil Patrick Harris <laughs> for night. It's the it's the recent uh, Fatal Attraction. That's pretty much what it is. I agree. It was made in my former where I used to live, so I had to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, best Supporting Actor, J.K. Simmons in Whiplash, Ed Norton and Birdman, Ethan Hawke, Boyhood. J.K. Simmons, no comment. Mark Ruffalo, Foxcatcher, and Robert Duvall, the judge. If it's not, if he does not win for Whiplash, there, I, this might be the has last. J.K. Simmons won an Oscar? No, I don't think he has. Yeah, he, he doesn't strike. He doesn't have that, doesn't seem like uh, uh, that pedigree yet. I don't know, it just doesn't seem it. Uh, best Supporting Actress, Patricia Arquette in Boyhood. And I don't see why I should read the rest of these because she is absolutely a vision in the movie and I thought she was wonderful and everything about her was is spot on. Uh, and then for Best Director, Linklater for Boyhood. I just wanted to say his name. Alejandro Gonzalez Inireto for Birdman. Morton Tinian for An Imitation Game. Wes Anderson, The Budapest. And Bennett Miller, Foxcatcher. Throw one out at me and we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Foxcatcher guy. Um, is Wes Anderson ever going to win an Oscar? This might be the one because if you, I saw the Grand Budapest Hotel, and it is as quirky and as cute and ridiculous as anything he's ever done. And on yeah. the strength of that, but uh, I, I got to go with the Boyhood, just having the vision to, to kind of put that together. Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I think yeah. He, I think Boyhood's going to win big. Yeah. Well, we'll find out about this on uh, Sunday, and we'll be back here next week for the podcast to talk about winners and losers and definitely have more information on this uh, Cantor trade. Everyone should run the fans and pick up those 50 to 4, 75% off Cantor jerseys. I know I am, mostly because I need the parking validation. Uh, please listen. I'm oh, sorry, you're already listening. So uh, subscribe, <laughs> rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, five-star rating, kill us in the comment section. And uh, if you have any questions, tweet them at the boys. You got at Kyle Goon, at Kevin Winter Morris, and I'm at Benny Raskin. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care. For Tribune Sports Radio, this is Ben Raskin. Our weekly podcast is recorded every Tuesday. Subscribe to the show on iTunes at Trib Sports Radio. And while you're there, please rate the show and give us some comments to help improve the podcast. All of our reporters' work can be found at sltrib.com. Please follow us on Twitter at Trib Sports Radio. Tweet us questions and the fellows will be happy to answer them. Or if you feel like writing an email, send it to Tribune Sports Radio, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.